This e-multiple sclerosis review podcast is presented by DKP Med Radio. We must also consider how aging impacts treatment efficacy in MS. The recent meta-analysis showed that the efficacy of DMTs significantly decreases with aging, especially after age 53. This is primarily due to inflammatory mechanisms and again with immunosenescence. Treatment considerations for aging patients. Welcome to eMultiple Sclerosis Review. The population of older patients with MS continues to increase, as do clinicians' questions about how to provide the best possible care. Does the risk versus benefit of DMTs change as patients age? Can older patients safely discontinue their DMT? Which patients, what age, which DMT? And how do each patient's comorbidities affect these decisions? That's what we're here to talk about today. Our guest is Dr. Borju Zayden from the Department of Neurology and Radiology at the Mayo Clinic. For Dr. Zayden's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, eMultipleSclerosisReview.org, and click on the Volume 4, Issue 4 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Zayden, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Bob. I'm happy to be here. Let's start right in with our first learning objective. Describe the role of aging-related mechanisms in MS management and DMT discontinuation. So take us to the clinic, if you would please, Dr. Zayden, with a patient scenario. Sure. Here we have a 57-year-old woman who has a long-time history of multiple sclerosis. She is a basketball coach and has three children. She presents to the clinic with a specific question. She wants to come off her MS medication, and would like to discuss the pros and cons. The first step to answering her question, I would think, is to understand her overall disease activity level. What can you tell us about her history? Well, briefly, her symptoms started at age 35 with an optic neuritis. She recovered well from that episode, and she deferred the option of using a long-term treatment at that time. However, a year later, at age 36, she had another relapse, presented with double vision. After receiving high-dose intravenous steroids for this brainstem attack, her diplopia resolved, suggesting good recovery potential, and she was started on interferon beta-1a. Interferon beta is generally used for long-term treatment. How did she do on it? For the next five years, she was stable clinically and radiologically, but then at age 41, she decided to stop using interferon because of injection fatigue. Unfortunately, seven months later, she presented with numbness in her hand, and she had a cervical spinal cord attack. After receiving high-dose intravenous steroids, her numbness resolved up to 80%. So far, doctor, the, the evidence strongly indicates that she needs to remain on treatment. Did she restart the interferon? We discussed reinitiating treatment, and yes, she started to use interferon again. She has been on it now for the past 16 years with no relapses, and her repeat MRIs have not shown any new or active lesions either. At age 57, she has no disability and she still works as a basketball coach. So then, uh, to return to the question she asked you, can she stop treatment? What more do we need to know? Well, this is becoming a very common question that is raised in the clinic because the peak age of prevalence in MS is increasing and is shifting from 40s to 60s. Therefore, it is crucial to recognize aging-related mechanisms 
that play a role in MS disease course and management. In your newsletter issue, you detailed a 2020 publication by yourself and Dr. Orhun Kontarji that describes these aging-related mechanisms. Give us a brief recap, if you would, Dr. Zayden. First, the progressive phase of the disease is an age-dependent phenomenon, and the transition to the progressive MS is usually seen during the fifth decade. However, progression is not inevitable. This patient clearly had relapsing remitting MS and remained in the relapsing phase throughout the disease course, which is possible as 15 to 40% of patients with RRMS do not develop progression by age 75. Of course, using a disease-modifying agent with compliance plays a key role in avoiding or delaying disability accumulation by preventing new relapses and new lesions on MRI. And from a sex-specific perspective, being a woman must have helped as well, since she has three children and she went into menopause at age 51. This is relevant because we have recently shown that having one or more pregnancies and normal age at menopause are associated with a delay in progressive MS onset. So she's remained in the relapsing phase throughout her disease course. She's had children and a normal age menopause. Are there other factors that favor treatment discontinuation? Actually, that's a great question. She is now 57 and she has been doing well on interferon. She remained stable for more than a decade. We know that patients with MS are more likely to experience relapses when they are younger. Our patient had three relapses between the ages of 35 and 41, and her last episode was right after she stopped her medication. On the other hand, she had three relapses earlier in the disease course, but she recovered well from all these three episodes. Recall that with aging, relapses become less common, but at the same time, the recovery potential declines as well. Our current understanding is that this is mostly due to immunosenescence. The term immunosenescence. Give us a working definition, if you would, please. Immunosenescence is defined as the aging-related loss of efficacy in the immune system, and this affects both the quantitative and functional properties of the immune system. We know that immunosenescence happens earlier in MS and has an impact on the decrease in relapse frequency and recovery potential with aging. In addition to the effects of premature immunosenescence in MS, it is also known that not only in patients with MS, but also in the general population, structural reserve of the central nervous system decreases with aging. Our patient regularly exercises and still works as a basketball coach, which requires high endurance. This must be contributing to preserving her nervous system reserve as her symptoms result each time, and she currently has no disability. Thank you, doctor. So do we have enough information to answer this patient's original question? Can she or should she discontinue her interferon? There are several other points that need to be discussed with the patient before making this decision. The recent study by McFall and colleagues I presented in my newsletter issue explored the safety of treatment discontinuation in older patients with MS. The study suggested that it is safe to stop medication in older patients with benign burnt-out MS, particularly those who have remained stable on a first-line injectable. The authors came up with proposed diagnostic criteria for benign burnt-out MS. While this is not a definite set of criteria, it is nevertheless very helpful. Being aged 55 and older, having 10 or more years of disease duration, having no or mild disability, 
and not having progressive MS are four of the six criteria. These patients also should not have had a relapse or a new or enlarging MRI lesion within the past five years. And all that applies to the patient we've been discussing, doesn't it? Our patient seems to qualify for having benign burnt out MS as she's 57 and her disease onset was 22 years ago. She currently has no disability and is still in the relapsing remitting phase. She also does not have clinical or radiological disease activity for more than 10 years. But she did have spinal cord involvement, no? That's an important question. She did have a spinal cord attack, but interestingly, having spinal cord lesions is not an exclusion criterion for benign burnt out MS, as 57% of the patients in the study had spinal cord lesions before discontinuation. In your newsletter issue, you wrote about how treatment efficacy changes with aging. Yes, we must also consider how aging impacts treatment efficacy in MS. The recent meta-analysis by Weidman and colleagues showed that the efficacy of DMTs significantly decreases with aging, especially after age 53. This is primarily due to inflammatory mechanisms, which are the main target of DMTs, and this attenuates with aging and again with immunosenescence. We must also recall that most clinical trials have the upper age limit of enrollment at age 55, and therefore, they are less likely to give us information about treatment efficacy and safety in older patients. So, in your opinion, can she safely discontinue her MS medication? Our patient is older than 55, has a prolonged disease inactivity, has a benign disease course, and probably has a high neurological reserve. And with aging, the efficacy of MS drugs decreases while the adverse events increase. Therefore, it would be reasonable to stop treatment in this patient. Thank you for bringing us this case, Dr. Zayden. I'd like to review what we've been discussing through the lens of our learning objective to describe the role of aging-related mechanisms in MS management and DMT discontinuation. What are the most important things our listeners need to understand? First, understanding aging-related mechanisms in MS is important because the peak age of prevalence is increasing and is shifting from 40s to 60s. Aging impacts many aspects of MS, including phenotypic variability and treatment efficacy. The progressive phase of MS is an age-dependent phenomenon, and the evolution to the progressive phase usually happens during the fifth decade. The relapses become less common in the disease course at older age as inflammation attenuates with aging. Finally, in patients with relapsing remitting MS, who are older than 55 with clinical and radiological inactivity for more than five years, discontinuation of DMTs seems to be safe, although more definitive randomized trials are ongoing. Nice summation. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Bourgeois Aiden from the Mayo Clinic in just a moment. Hello again, it's Bob Busker with a question about your CME CEU credits. Do you have all that you need? because it's not too late to access the credits still available without charge from our recently completed Volume 3 of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Whether you need to know more about how to improve care for special populations like pregnant or postpartum mothers, or better understand the clinical challenges of managing pediatric patients with MS, or reviewing the evidence behind improving quality of life by reducing MS disease burden, or by increasing shared decision-making, you'll find it in the E-Multiple Sclerosis Review Archive. 
Just go to DKBMed.com. That's Delta Kilo Bravo Med.com. Type multiple sclerosis in the search box and select a newsletter or podcast that interests you. All our MS programs are accredited for physicians as well as nurses and are provided without charge to access or to obtain credit. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or whichever service you get your podcasts, please review us. Because the more listeners we have, the more programs we can provide. Thank you. And now, back to our program. Welcome back to this eMultiple Sclerosis Review Podcast. Our guest is Dr. Borju Zaden from the Department of Neurology and Radiology at the Mayo Clinic, and our topic is the effect of patient aging on MS management decisions. Let's turn now to our second learning objective, the benefit versus risk ratio in DMT discontinuation, taking into account the comorbidities commonly present in older patients with MS. So once again, if you would please, Dr. Zaden, take us back to the clinic and another patient scenario. So this is a 54-year-old woman with MS who also has a medical history of ischemic heart disease. She has a child and works as a receptionist at a hotel. She's 54 years old. Did she have a long-time history of MS like the patient in our first case? Actually, she was at a relatively older age at onset. Nine years ago, at age 45, she presented with dysarteria and ataxia. She had a high lesion load on the MRI, and five of these lesions were enhancing. The cerebrospinal fluid showed 12 oligoclonal bands, and the IgG index was high. That indicates very active disease, doesn't it? Yes, you're right. She was treated with high-dose intravenous steroids and then received plasma exchange. Her symptoms were resolved up to 50%. She was started on natalizumab as she had a negative JCV antibody index. Clinically. And radiologically, she was stable for four years. However, at age 49, her JCV antibody index status became positive. So she was switched to a different DMT. Yes, due to high risk of progressive multifocalocencephalopathy, otherwise known as PML, natalizumab was discontinued. When making a treatment decision, in addition to disease activity, comorbidities should also be considered. In this patient... Which comorbidities concern you the most? So this patient had hypertension and had myocardial infarction at age 48, and her BMI was 30. As shown in recent studies, the frequency of comorbidities, such as hypertension and microvascular events, increases in patients with MS, especially in patients with reduced mobility. This patient has an EDSS score of 4 and does not exercise regularly. Since fingolimod may lead to increased risk of endothelial damage with advanced age, this option was precluded, and therefore she was switched to interferon beta-1a at age 49. Was she stable in interferon? Unfortunately, two years later, at age 51, she had another relapse. This time, she had a spinal cord attack with weakness in both legs. Her symptoms resolved only about 25%, and she was able to walk with a cane. Given her age, it is not surprising that the patient had a reduced recovery capacity. Recent studies showed that the relapse recovery potential significantly decreases with aging. Therefore, even a single relapse at an older age may cause significant disability worsening because of reduced recovery potential. And it may partially be due to the decrease in structural nervous system reserve with aging. What was the next step in her management? One of the studies I reviewed in my newsletter issue by Weidman and colleagues 
show that the efficacy of DMTs is expected to decrease with aging, especially after age 53. However, this patient is 51, and despite her age, she has ongoing inflammation and disease activity. Therefore, she was started on acrolizumab. Acrolizumab was not available as an approved medication for treatment of MS at the time she was coming off natalizumab and being switched to interferon in 2016. She's remained relapse-free and hasn't had new or enhancing lesions in the last three years. However, her walking distance significantly worsened within the last two years because she has entered the progressive phase. You said she's entered the progressive phase. Was this phase change expected? Was it anticipated? Yes, it was anticipated because onset of progressive MS is an age-dependent phenomenon, and the transition from the relapsing phase to the progressive phase often happens at age 45 plus or minus 10 years. And this patient was 52 when she transitioned to secondary progressive MS. So the patient has developed progressive MS and has current disease inactivity, but during her most recent visit, she has raised concerns about using acrolizumab. She has a family history of breast cancer and would like to discontinue this medication. How relevant is this concern about cancer? Well, besides the decrease in drug efficacy with aging, the adverse events are likely to increase at older age. The safety profile in DMTs is an important issue, especially with high-efficacy drugs such as natalizumab and acrolizumab, which are often very effective in controlling disease activity, but also have more adverse events. These adverse events, such as infections and malignancies, which increase at older age, were summarized in the recent article by Schwasser and colleagues reviewed in my newsletter. Of course, PML was an important concern in this patient because her JCV antibody index became positive while she was on natalizumab. This may be expected because anti-JCV antibody positivity is higher in older individuals. We also know that with aging, PML risk increases and is associated with more severe outcomes. The Schweitzer article you reviewed in your newsletter issue. Summarize that for us, if you would, please. The Swasser review underlines the increased risk of other opportunistic infections as well. There is increased risk of cryptococcal meningitis with fengolimod, varicella zoster, and herpes virus reactivations increase with aging, with many of the high-efficacy drugs such as fengolimod, natalizumab, ocrelizumab, lamtuzumab, and cladribine. And cancer is another important adverse event that increases with aging. We know that skin malignancies appear to be more frequent in older patients with fengolimod. The frequency of solid tumors tends to be higher in older patients who use cladribine. And in clinical trials, higher number of malignancies, including breast cancer, were observed in patients treated with ocrelizumab compared to controls. So did she stop using ocrelizumab? Yes, actually, she did not want to use ocrelizumab anymore. That being the case, is there another DMT that might be appropriate for her? Or, or is she like our first patient in that the benefits from disease-modifying therapy are no longer worth the risks? Should she just discontinue her DMT? First, let's remember that she does not have a benign disease. Although she's 54 now, her last clinical relapse was only three years ago. She has significant disability worsening, and her current EDSSS 6 due to both progressive MS and incomplete recovery from relapses. 
The patient had a relapse relatively recently in 2018. In addition to the possible ongoing or future disease activity, given her older age at disease onset and reduced recovery potential, she was offered the option of another DMT. After discussing with the patient, dimethylfumarate was chosen. As it was shown in a recent study, in patients with progressive MS, most post-progression relapses occur within the first five years after progressive MS onset. We will need to watch these patients very closely because she may have new clinical or subclinical activity, especially until age 57, within the first five years of progressive MS onset. Your management recommendations at this point? Well, at this point, management of her comorbidities is crucial in increasing her quality of life. She has ischemic heart disease and has osteoporosis, which was recently diagnosed. MS is associated with increased risk of comorbidities, such as congestive heart failure, ischemic stroke, chronic lung disease, depression, and osteoporosis. And these comorbidities increase the likelihood of greater disability in MS. So preventing further cardiovascular and cerebrovascular events and treating osteoporosis are very important in this patient who already has significant disability and has a higher fall risk. Thank you, Dr. Zayden, for bringing us this interesting case. Let's wrap things up by returning to our learning objective, discuss the benefit-risk ratio in DMT discontinuation, taking into account the comorbidities commonly present in older individuals with MS. What are the key things our listeners need to know? First of all, recovery capacity from relapses significantly decreases with aging in MS. The efficacy of DMTs decreases with aging in MS. DMT adverse events, such as opportunistic infections and cancer, increase in older patients with MS. Most post-progression relapses happen within the first five years after progressive MS onset and or before age 55. Therefore, discontinuing DMTs may be reasonable five years after progressive MS onset or before age 55 in patients with disease inactivity. And last but not least, management of comorbidities is associated with better disability outcomes and better quality of life in MS. From the Department of Radiology and Neurology at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Borju Zayden, thank you for joining us for this eMultiple Sclerosis Review Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at eMultipleSclerosisReview.dkpmed.com. eMultiple Sclerosis Review is supported by educational grants from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, and Sanofi. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.